Hi, and welcome to the Mavericks Unlimited podcast. I'm your host, Chris Roy, and this is the place to be to get unstuck, unleash your superpowers, and create a world that works for all. On this podcast, we speak to Mavericks who inspire us. We aim to get the insight and wisdom from their story to help get you the clarity, courage, conviction that you need to make your mark on the world. This week, our guest is Phil M. Jones. Phil is an author, a keynote speaker, and a sales trader. He's written five best-selling books, including Exactly What to Say and Exactly How to Sell. Phil has trained over 2 million people in 56 countries and has also grown his own property investment business, generating over £240 million in revenue. In this illuminating interview, Phil gives us some incredibly practical tips and observations around the psychology of persuasion. Whether that's for sales or enrolling people in your mission, Phil shows a depth of insight and mastery that's both absolutely intriguing and inspiring. So with that, let's jump right in. Okay, so hi Mavericks, welcome to another podcast. And today we're in the uh, the heady world of influence, persuasion, and dare I say that word, selling, as it were, which as uh, as many of you know, is something we all have to do when we're trying to bring people uh, along with our mission as well. And I'm really fortunate to have a, a master of this area with us, Mr. Phil M. Jones. Hi Phil, how are you today? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks for uh, inviting me on the show. Yeah, no, great, great to have you. And Phil has written five best-selling books and has got a new book coming out in January next year, which we'll get to during the interview. Um, Phil, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your story, as it were? Sure. I, I mean, I'll give you the best I can as a potted history. But um, yeah, I'm just a guy who's the son of a builder and mum worked in a garden centre who's done the best I can to, to roll the dice and make something happen for myself. So I, I started with my first business when I was 14 years of age. Okay. And all I was doing back then was knocking on the doors of my neighbours, asking them quite politely whether they wanted to have their cars washed. Brilliant. And a few said yes, some said no, most just asked me how much I would charge, which very quickly had me realizing that people are interested. And um, I had a business to go on and build. But by the age of 15, I wasn't going to school quite as often as I should. <laughs> okay. So I remember being invited in by school teachers, questioning my attendance, asking me why I wasn't there. And I'd respond with a question. And the question I'd respond with was, sir, how much money are you making? And my school teachers refused to tell me at the time, but at 15 years of age, my little car cleaning business was giving me around 2,500 pounds a month. So I always had this kind of entrepreneurial gene in me. And I built a number of entrepreneurial businesses through my teens, worked some part-time around my studies or worked my studies part-time around my businesses. I'm not sure which way to look at it really. Okay. Um, and then at 18, was faced with the dilemma, had an offer of a great school to go to university, to go get a degree, to make my parents proud. But I wanted to... Um, to go out and get my education in the field. So I spent a few years um, in the world of corporates. So I became the youngest ever sales manager for one of the UK's largest department store groups, running big teams, multi-million pound turnovers, all at the age of 18, 19, 20, 21. Um, Run big furniture retail businesses through the UK, former um, head of retail, commercial director at Birmingham City Football Club, Leicester City Football Club, built a property business, turned over 240 million pound at its peak. And then 2008, the world got a little tricky. You may remember. I certainly do. Yeah, so my business that was great on a Monday had a product we couldn't give away on the Friday. Everything had moved against it. So I started this business that I have right now really really as a community project, first of all, is seeing entrepreneurs and people with their businesses struggling through recession and my skill set lying in the area of 
getting more customers or getting them to come back more often or getting them to spend more money when they shop was something that my local business community was craving in recessionary times. So I started running fun little workshops just in and around the middle of the UK, helping independent business owners to learn what it took to be able to get back up on their feet. Okay. And those workshops grew in popularity and, and, and almost 10 years past that right now, I have a global organization, written five best-selling books, spoken on five continents, 56 different countries, and spend my days doing the things I love, which is helping people to sell stuff. Wow, that's quite a story, especially uh, I love the fact that you're probably making more than your teachers at the age of 14. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> it, took me to, it took me till 15 to get to that point. To be oh, fair. okay. Fair enough. Fair, slow starter, obviously. <laughs> so that's a really incredible, incredible story. And as you say, um, there was the, that big challenge in 2008. So what? Let, 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 let's start there because adversity is very often the, play, the making of a person, isn't it? What was it that had you really switch direction and choose what you're doing now, as it were? Um, I, I think if I'm fair to you, Chris, is, is, is we're not talking about this, you know, you know, this halo moment or this flash of light that's like, hey, hey this is what I'm going to do next. <laughs> Most things that happen for anybody I've studied in success, and I'd say my story is very similar, is that what happens is we realize we don't want to be where we're at anymore or we can't be where we're at anymore. So what should we do to roll the dice our best chance on from here? What's our next best alternative? And I, I said previously that you know, what I was looking to do was to help people, to fix a genuine pro- problem that existed in the world. Mm. And I knew that instead of me trying to wrap my head around what's the new business I want to start, knowing my new business could continue, wouldn't it be fun for a while that I make other people's train sets run faster? Mm. And I quickly realized that as I was investing time in other people's businesses, that I was getting far more personal satisfaction seeing huge success through others than I was through anything I'd ever created myself. And it made me want to get more of it. And, you know, I'm not in complete control of my success and my destiny. It comes as a result of the opportunities that come as a result of the opportunities I create. So much of it's organic, which is like, hey, I like this. I want to do more of this. And then other people start to present new ideas and you say yes or no to those ideas. And that shapes a career. Mm, Love that. Absolutely love that. So, so kind of carrying on from there and talk about making the most of opportunities. I mean, a lot of the people, a lot of the mavericks out there, they might be kind of creatives who are trying to get their art or the creativity noticed, might be social enterprises who are trying to draw in kind of more interest as it were. So mission driven people. So how do you get people to begin to notice and care about and join in your your mission or your product or whatever, or you're making a difference in the world as it were? Yeah, it's a great question. And let me share some common mistakes that I see happening um, in this area for people looking to be able to start off a business or they're looking to be able to start an enterprise or or a movement in some way is what most people are doing is, is shouting out into the wilderness to nobody that's listening. So they make it about, well, I've got to get my website ready or I've got to you know, prepare all of my marketing materials or what I'm doing is I'm, I'm posting all over social media to tell about it, but nobody gives a damn because everybody's busy with their own lives. Right. It's not because people aren't interested in what you're about. It's because you haven't got their attention. So what we need to be doing more of if we're looking to be able to get people to get behind what we're about is you have to interrupt people's day for long enough. And I think that's the majority of what people's job descriptions are, is to interrupt somebody's day for long enough 
to be able to present them an idea that they weren't thinking of by themselves that might be a better idea than what they were thinking of anyway and give them something to do. I mean, this podcast, Grish, is an absolute example of that. You know, I wasn't hunting you down to be on your show. I wasn't thinking that what I'd love to be doing at this moment in time on this day is to be sat there speaking to your particular audience of Mavericks. What happened was, is you interrupted my day for long enough and said, hey, Phil, do you fancy jumping on the show? And availability said, yeah, let's do this. And I think more people need to be prepared to say, who are the day, who are the people's days that I want to interrupt to present them with an idea that they weren't thinking of themselves that may well be a better use of their time than what they currently had planned? That's how you make stuff happen. Wow, 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 wow. So can you, I mean, obviously you, you've worked with and coached millions of people quite literally. So can you, get, can you bring that to life for us a little bit? Maybe give, give an example of something like that you've seen. Um, let, let, let's pick up on a few, right. Um, I do a lot in the world of direct sales and multi, multi-level marketing. Mm. I also do a lot of work within the care, within the industry of hearing care profession. So let's take hearing care for an, for an example is who do you know that thinks what I would love to have more of in my life is hearing aids? <laughs> Not too many people apart from people who are maybe a little hard of hearing. Right. But even the people who are a little hard of hearing will work like crazy to avoid being Absolutely able to treat right. that hearing loss in some way because there's a stigma attached to it. Absolutely right. So the mistake that many business owners make within this area is what they try to do is to find people who are looking to buy hearing aids. Yet the difficulty is, is that's a grand scale of about six people. Right. So we look to try and bring this to life in another way. And we create situations by talking to the user group, the target market of people that potentially could benefit from this, but quite literally in this scenario, don't know what they're missing. So what do we do? We find people who've been exposed to high levels of noise who are over the age of 55, maybe have worked within an engineering background and are perhaps still at work where their hearing loss is causing them difficulties either in their work life or their home life. We interrupt their day for long enough by asking them a simple question, which was when was the last time you had your hearing tested? Hmm. Now, the answer to that question is typically somewhere near never. We introduce the importance of recognition of having this tested regularly. They come in and have a test, realize they have a significant hearing loss, and guess what? They're now a candidate for a hearing aid. Right. So you've suddenly qualified a lead, as it were, to, to use sales language. Yeah. And I think for everybody listening in right now, an important piece of phraseology to remember is that prescription before diagnosis is malpractice. Now, if you bring that analogy towards maybe your own products and services, but you think of it literally in the way that I've just put it, if you walked into a doctor's surgery and the doctor said, hey, um, you know, I'm pleased you come. The pharmaceutical rep was in yesterday, told me about these great new pills, shook them in front of you, told them how fantastic they were and asked you to take two. You'd probably feel a little bit put out by that. Alternatively, though, is if the doctor sits you down, asks you some questions, understands your symptoms, creates a genuine opportunity, and then recommends you the same two pills, chances are you jump on those pills and you feel pretty good about the decision. Mm, mm, So what happens when the majority of people are looking to try and get somebody behind their idea? They're the equivalent of the doctor telling people how wonderful their pills are. Right. And what, what nobody wants is what you've got. What everybody wants potentially is the result of what you've got. So go hunting the problem, find people who are as passionate about solving the problem as you are, and then introduce them to your solution of how you propose to fix that problem as being a better solution than the one they either have or don't have right now, and you'll bring people with you for the ride. Makes perfect sense. So essentially, find the need, create the need, 
speak to people about the need and then give them a solution. Uh, yeah, and, and finding people have a common interest. Mm, mm. Makes complete sense. Makes complete sense. So that being the case, let's, let, let's kind of get into kind of some of the specifics of how you kind of talk to this potential audience, as it were. Because I know you, uh, I, w- I was re- reading your book the other day and you have this concept of magic words that I really like. So can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Yeah, t- t- tell me more about what you want to know, because I could talk on this subject forever. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, pe- people often think about, well, l- l- let's actually, let me pull back out a little bit. Because what we're talking about here, we've used the word sales quite a lot. And I think, as you said earlier, a lot of people think sales is a sort of dirty word, as it were. Yeah, it's something we always have to do all the time. So I know one of the things you've been doing is kind of trying to change that perception, as it were. Sure. I mean, let's just have some fun for a second, Chris. I mean, you play yeah. with me. Is I want you to throw some adjectives at me, some describing words that would describe a stereotypical salesperson. Hit me, you can be as mean as you like. Okay. Uh, sleazy, uh, non-ethical, going in for the kill, uh, only interested in making a buck. Um, let's see. Uh, untrustworthy. So a liar. And... and uh, <laughs> And think about these words and think about the pictures that these words conjure up within your own mind. If somebody used those words or had that image of you, how would it make you feel? Yeah, not great. Right? It would, it would kind, of, kind of be awful. You'd probably be quivering in your boots at the thought. Now, what happens if I ask you to throw some adjectives at me that not describe a stereotypical salesperson, but by alternative, describe a professional salesperson? How do the so, adjectives now change? So ethical, uh, interested caring, uh, inquisitive, um, genuinely kind of interested in you as a person. So here we have a situation where if somebody was using those words to describe you, you'd feel remarkably different, different, right? Yes? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hugely, hugely different. So I don't know a better way of proving to you that why is it that when I change one word, you can change them all? Hmm. And this is what the importance is of a huge part of my work, which is helping people understand the impact of language. You know, the worst time to think about the thing you're going to say is in the moment when you're saying it. Yet we have so many repetitive conversations that appear in our life that we fail to get ready for. Mm. Through all of my life in working with millions of sales professionals, the one big difference that I see between those that do good and those that do great isn't just attitude and endeavor and demeanor and skills and product knowledge. The big ticker, uh, the big kicker of all of the differences is that those that really get great results, they know exactly what to say, when to say it, and how to make it count. And they understand how the importance of the right words at the right time can be all of the difference in somebody moving from a position of maybe towards yes. And indecision is the killer of so much momentum when it comes to making stuff happen. Moving people out of that indecision is something we all have the ability to be able to do if we can become more influential and persuasive within our word choices. Mm. So... Let, let, let's let's bring this to life as it were so if we can maybe bring because i know your next book as you said said earlier is about sales for non-sales people so and that i think is a lot of our people so so say i'm a a creative and i'm trying to um i'm i'm running an art show for example and i'm wanting okay. to talk to people about my my art as it were but i don't want to appear pushy i don't want to appear like i'm you know i'm, I'm typically self-deprecating as it were how okay. should i be looking to change what I'm up to. 
Okay, so you're at an art show, you're stood in front of your art, you've got people wandering around the gallery or the show space coming to take a look at it. Your fundamental outcome is that you want people who love your work to consider putting it on the wall in their own home or workplace, yes? Yeah. Okay. Well, we need to be thinking about that if people are wandering in, first of all, they have a genuine interest in art, otherwise you don't walk into a gallery or a show space, to a point. But we need to be able to qualify whether somebody is there for the passing of the time or whether they've got a genuine interest about maybe investing in your art. And you've got two types of buyer, right? You've got the first type of buyer that is somebody who is very much on purpose coming out looking for something to go in a specific spot in their home. Mm-hmm. But then you've got the more common buyer in this scenario that is somebody out for really just to pass the time. And if something catches their eye that they love, they might find the spice for it or think about where it might go. Right. We need to start conversations in a safe place. That's the first thing we need to do. So somebody is wandering around and we can probably find out which type of buyer this person might be with a simple, easy first question. First question might be something along the lines of, oh, whereabouts have you traveled from today? Hmm. Now, if somebody has come from 35 miles away, chances are it's a purposeful visit. If somebody has come from around the corner and was just browsing because they live on the same street, we've gathered and garnered some information from this that A, is a safe place to start a conversation because however they answer it, we've now got a common interest. Common interest is we're both in the same place at the same time. Absolutely. And we're not talking about the art. We're not talking about money. We're not talking about transactions. We just, you know, whereabouts have you traveled from today? Well, if you're in Brighton right now and they've come from Bournemouth, well, we're guessing this is a purposeful visit. So my next question might be, how did you find out about the show? Now, what am I doing? I'm learning, but I'm allowing the conversation to be able to run simply and easily by making the questions easy for the other person to answer. I get the information I need, but I'm not directly asking for it. Right, right, right. So we're going on a little dance and the other person's starting to feel more comfortable. It doesn't feel like a sales conversation at all. They come back and say, well, I, you know, I saw it advertised in the local, um, local newspaper. I thought I'd pop on by and see if there's anything I like the look of. Hmm. So did you have a room in mind that you're looking for something? Are you just here for inspiration? What was your thoughts that prompted you to come and take a look around the show? Well, as it happens, we've just been redecorating our bathroom and we're thinking about a couple of pieces that might make some people smile. Right now we're into a conversation, but let's take the simple rules and the principles from this. Yeah. Is a question starts a conversation. A conversation creates a relationship. A relationship creates an opportunity. An opportunity leads to a sale. Those five steps will never not happen. So where does it all start? It all starts with a question. The mistake that many people make is they think it starts by offloading features and benefits. They think it becomes like, let me tell you all about my art. Let's take it into a completely other set of context. Do you know where many people have been their very best version of themselves in a sales environment? Mm. It's on their first or second date with a loved one. See, on a first or second date with a loved one, what you realize is it's not about you. You can't appear to be braggy. You shouldn't be showboating in any way, shape, or form. What your job to do is to show massive interest in that other person because there's so much more to learn than what you become is remarkably curious and you ask great questions. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. My encouragement to anybody looking to be able to grow anything is to become curious about their user base and capture worldly wide useful information by asking great questions and what then happens is 
the right choice for them to make naturally appears. It never needs to be pushy. It's just the natural solution to the problem that's come out of the conversation. But the questions are what start the conversations. So starting off from that naturally curious place, but with a purpose in mind, is the way to create the connection. You've got it. Okay. You make it sound so simple. And I guess it actually, ultimately speaking, is. So what is it then, Phil, having worked with so many people? And, you know, you did the exercise with me earlier about describing the two different types of salesmen. What is it that gets in people's heads about this word sales or influence or... Um. The thing that I hear of more than anything is people have a fear. They are fearful of rejection in some way. So they have a, a personal insecurity where what they're feeling is that if they're to ask for something and somebody is going to say no, then what they're going to do is take that very personally. But finish right. this sentence for me. If you don't ask, you don't get. Now, we know that to be true. Yet what we have is we have another program that runs in our mind. And we're all conditioned as humans. And part of where this program comes from in many is responsible for the adults that appeared in our life when we were children. Mm. See, what happened was, is everybody was born great at the ability to be able to sell stuff. Because what does a three-year-old do when they want something? Oh, they scream. And that's only at the point of having asked for it one, two, three, four, five times. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Screaming is is the default, throw myself on the floor, I'm prepared to do whatever it takes to get me my result. So what happened was, is adults started to tell lies to children. They would tell lies to children like it's rude to ask. I want doesn't get. Right. Now that little voice echoes through people's mind into their adulthood and nobody undoes that. You see, we know that if you don't ask, you don't get, yet we still hear it's rude to ask in our minds because people who care about us have told us that that would be the case. They told you that in order for them to be able to get an easy life. It isn't rude to ask, providing you ask in a kind, polite, and friendly way. The other thing to also accept in a kind, polite, and friendly way is it's okay for the other person to say no. People put so much pressure on the fact that, you know, I have to close this deal or I just lost that sale. And I can't stand it when people say I lost that sale because you can't lose something you never had. Right, 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 right. So I think what would be a mindset that many people could better have, particularly the creatives and the aspirational type that are listening into this show, is um, understand that it's a game. And it's a game that we're looking to be able to play to win, for sure. But the fun is in the playing of the game. You're not going to win them all. There are going to be many scenarios that push back with an outcome that isn't the one that you hoped for. You can get better prepared and you can learn through experience to be able to maybe move more of those maybes towards yeses. But some people are a flat out no or a flat out no or a flat out no or a flat out no. It doesn't matter who's in that conversation. Nobody would have got a better outcome than the one you didn't get. But enjoying it as a game and understanding that the learnings and the growth that come from playing that game are more fun than the immediate result that you get in the moment means you can accelerate your rate of decision, accelerate your rate of activity, work through the number of conversations you need to to find success and enjoy the positive outcome that you went that you were looking for by not focusing on the perfect conversation, but the dozens of imperfect ones that have loads of lessons in between. Right. So in essence, almost like Thomas Edison with the uh, 10,000 ways of not creating a light bulb until you get to the one that does create the light bulb, as it were. If you follow the truth in any entrepreneur success story, you will realize that there have been 10 to 100 times more failures than there have been successes. But what gets remembered is the giant successes. Right. Right. And, and you're absolutely right. Behind every great person, there are 
always how they've handled failure in the past or adversity in the past. And failure's fun. Let's just jump another direction for a second because I think the way people look at stuff and in particular the way you talk to yourself can have a huge effect on your outcomes. And let's just explore for a second the difference between a mistake and a failure. See, these are two very different things. Mm. A, A mistake is taking something you knew how to do and deliberately doing it wrong. Now, we want to avoid those kind of things. What failure is, is trying something you've never tried before and getting an outcome that was different to the one that you anticipated. Now, that's life. That's what we should be encouraging ourselves to be able to do more of. So to everybody listening in right now, look to see where you can avoid the mistakes in your life by being better prepared, being more learned, and following through on the things that you know how to do. But encourage yourself to be able to make more failures that come as a result of you trying new things, pushing into new directions, but learning fast by reviewing and refining what comes as a result of you not getting the result you anticipated. And very much treating failure from that point of view as a learning thing. Man, it's fun. It's fun to fail. (laughs) Um, I I personally agree with you. But it is amazing how kind of we can almost conditioned at at social level to see failure as a terrible thing it's quite remarkable well let's take another little shift as well is if i gave you the choice of doing good at something doing better at something or doing your best at something which one of those three would you pick well obviously the best one and that's the same choice that nearly everybody would pick and it's the wrong choice see the trouble is is i bet there have been times in the past that what's happened is you've tried to do something and it hasn't worked out well and you found yourself either inwardly or outwardly expressing the fact that you tried your best. Mm. Now, that statement is an out-and-out lie because if you were honest with yourself, in the times that you've said to yourself, I tried my best, you'll know that there were things that you could have done that were different to what you did do that would have garnered a better result. It becomes an excuse, I tried my best. What it also does is it says that there is a finite outcome of where right is. It lands it as a kind of etched mark in stone. The reality of it is, is there are dozens of things that you can now do in your life with ease that previously in the past you told yourself you couldn't do. So take, for example, things like tying your shoelaces. There was once a point in time where you were telling people outwardly that you couldn't do that thing. Yet now I'd imagine you've got that thing down. Can do that one now. See, if the focus is always on better and you disregard the idea of best, what happens is is that you find that you can evolve at a pace that is far quicker and surpass wherever your current belief is as to what that limiting belief of best would really be. So my focus to everybody is always be on the quest for better, not the quest for best. And you might be surprised where you end up one day. I absolutely love that, Phil, because what you're essentially doing is you're you're taking it into shades of grey rather than the binary conversation with yourself, aren't you? It's not I fail it's exactly right. where it is. And when it remains in that shade of grey, it's fluid. It continues to move forward. It's never ending. It's not finished, not completed. And, and that means that it doesn't end up a shade of grey. It ends up technicolored. And life, isn't life always better when it's technicolored? <laughs> sure is. Sure is. Brilliant, brilliant. So let, let, let's kind of take this into a slightly different context as well. A lot of the people that we that we work with and a lot of, lot of our audience are also kind of leaders within, within kind of corporate environments who are kind of maybe looking for a change, that kind of thing. But nonetheless, they might be people who are looking to bring their team along with them 
or to influence people within their organization so the so the context is slightly different but nonetheless the the, the influence they need to exert is just as strong what kind of tips would you give those kind of people who are operating in a more of a say a leadership or a uh, an influencing capacity within an organization can you give me an example of something you might want somebody to be able to influence because again it's a real broad question yeah yeah absolutely so say for example um we are i'm a member of a leadership team and we are creating a change within say a, an agency or something along those lines we are bringing in um some new ways of working or we're looking to diversify our our, our service base so therefore we're having to bring our people into a kind of different culture into a different way of working maybe with different collaborations okay and we want to be able to just out and out change that culture yeah and we we, we want to bring people who are maybe used to working one way even if they're kind of young or have been quite adaptable into uh, say a, a more creative way of working or into a more collaborative way of working maybe okay. different partners well first thing to, to to kind of look at from a a bigger picture point of view is that people are far more likely to be able to move to achieve their goals than they will to achieve any corporate or business goals so this means that you have to align the change that you want somebody to be able to make towards a change that they want to make within their world my encouragement to anybody in a leader position is to find the reason as to why somebody would like to be able to go through that change people don't like change so we have to stick a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that says the pain is worth it Mm. you take an employee point of view they're probably not coming to work to be able to help you get your next promotion right what they probably are interested in though is how through growth of the company, what they might be able to do is to improve their circumstances to a point that would mean that they go on to fulfill either their personal or their family goals. So my advice to a leader is to get back to questions again, ask questions of your people to find out what they're looking to achieve with their life and then align your business goals with their personal goals. So that might mean that you find out that an individual within your team is looking to take their young family to Disneyland before they get too old. What would this then mean? It would then mean that your communications towards that individual start to become, well, how do we get you to to send your family to Disneyland? And here's the roadmap through the business that can allow you the metrics to be able to go and achieve that result and that outcome. Hmm. So we're moving people for their reasons as opposed to ours. Now, in those conversations, we can utilize some magic words, some magic words that will allow people to be able to foresee that better future for themselves more easily. Hmm. people make decisions in in a few different ways and every decision that every human being has ever made has been made at least twice i wonder whether you've ever even said the words to yourself i cannot see myself doing that yeah now if you've said the words i cannot see myself doing that the chances of you doing that thing become significantly lower if you've seen yourself doing something and you're then invited to do that thing then you feel more prepared and ready to be able to jump at it what this means is if we can create visions in other people's minds, we can allow them to see themselves doing something ahead of time. When we then invite them to be able to do that thing, they take that path more easily. As a kid, this was easy because what would happen is that people would open up their mind with the preface of words once upon a time. See, when you said right. to kids once upon a time, close their eyes, head goes back and everybody thinks this is going to be good. Can't use that with adults. <laughs> but what I can do is I can preface a statement with the words, just imagine And this allows me to be able to open up their mindset viewer for them to be able to have images inserted in it, 
for things they might want to move towards or away from. So just imagine we go through these changes and six months on from now, you're booking the tickets to Florida. They can't not see that thing. Now, having seen that thing, they're prepared to be able to work through those changes. So we can either use a positive vision or a negative vision. Just imagine if we fail to work through these changes and we fail to be able to make this change in culture, then what will happen is that we'll be losing some of our key employees to some of our major competitors. And as a result of which, I don't know whether we'll be able to keep this business moving forward. Boom, now I've seen some fear. I'm ready to be able to work through that change. So just imagine as a preface to be able to insert the images that you either want somebody to move towards or away from is a simple skill in language that can get other people to do more of the right kind of things. I have to say, Phil, I just in using those two words with me, I'm, I'm ready to book, book to go to Florida or go through the change to avoid that. You've already influenced me. That's quite remarkable. So... One of the things I loved about ex- exactly what to say is it's f- it's full of lots of tips like just imagine and there were kind of other speech patterns that kind of thing. What are some of the the other kind of simpler um, kind of magic words that that you would kind of advise people use or that people can put into practice every day? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's 25 precise sets of words that appear in the book that people can find their own patterns and uses for. But let's pick another couple of quick examples out. And how about I share a set of words that we can use to get just about anybody to agree to just about anything? Would that be something that's useful? Sounds wonderful to me. So it's a set of words that can be used to get just about anybody to agree to just about anything without them even knowing what the thing is. In fact, it's quite easy to get people to say yes. And I might need you to help me as a little volunteer on this, Chris. So could okay, you do, I'll do my best. Would you mind doing me a small favor? Yeah, of course. There's the words. See, why is it the request of a small favor gets a unanimous yes back in the other direction before you even know what it is that I've asked you to do? That's a very good question. So what this then means is that we can use that same set of words in our daily routines to be able to get people to give us a pocket of their time or to agree to be able to create a referral for us or to be able to create an introduction into somebody new or to open a door into a new opportunity or to take a product on trial or to take the time to read a piece of literature about what it is that we're about or forward it onto a friend or to share a Facebook post or whatever, 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 right? Mm -hmm. But just the request of a favor ahead of time creates the conditional agreement to the action before we've asked for the action, which means they're more likely to partake in the action. I love that. And it, and it, and I said yes straight away before, like you say, before I even knew what it was. And we have to understand why that's the case, because these are hardwired behaviours that exist in us as human people. We we think that we are free thinkers, that we're in complete control of our actions and outcomes and thoughts and behaviours. We're not. Mm. We have patterns, habits, and routines that make our life easier. So the words that I'm talking with, the words that talk straight to the subconscious brain, and the subconscious brain is part of us that acts on reflex, on impulse can't decide how it acts. And that's how we get through our days easier is by relying on our subconscious. So when you can learn to talk to other people's subconscious, you can ease the decision-making process. Can't be manipulative. Let's just get something right here. What we're doing is we're helping people do things that they would have been comfortable doing more easily and with more clarity and in less time. We're not getting people to do things that they would categorically not want to do. Right. Okay. Okay. So... This this works great when obviously we're talking at the moment on uh, on Zoom or you know when people are face to face. How do these kind of principles apply in kind of other like you know let's face it electronic mediums like email or 
social media or messaging or whatever else that, that uh, are quite prevalent today. Do these still apply? Um, they have application. Much of my work, though, is in, is in the spoken form of communication. That's where I would say that it has its biggest impact or influence is when somebody is engaged in a conversation. Now, we can create engagement in conversation with text message and messenger where two people are in the moment at the same time. Yes, of course, there is ability for these to spill over into a blog post or an email or a piece of sales copy, for sure. But primarily, their, their, their biggest impact is when involved in a, you know, a two-person dialogue, whatever the means of communication would be attaching to that dialogue. Because the subconscious requires the pressure of the moment. Mm. the minute we remove the pressure of the moment and we create onward consideration, then what happens is other factors come into play with people's decision-making process. So, right. Right. So, so these are tools for conversation rather than tools for literature. And would you say that these are tools that can be used, say in, in a public speaking context, for example? So, you know, we have people who might be influencing kind of a, a large group people you're a public speaker yourself and i'm sure you know absolutely absolutely i mean from, from the stage and being able to move a giant group full of people to be able to consider your point of view or take an action that you'd be looking for for certain these words would make a difference speaking from the stage and in fact they would probably have even bigger impact there because you can be more concise with your messaging and create conversation even though the conversations are often rhetorical or single-sided right 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 that makes complete sense so I'm so I'm curious. For, I mean, exactly what to say is a great book, and I actually I've had great fun playing with it. But you you have also mentioned that in January you have a you have a book called Exactly How to Sell, I believe it is coming yeah, out. Yeah, that's right. So in January 2017, we launched the second in the Exactly series, which is Exactly How to Sell: The Sales Guide for Non-Sales Professionals. And this is because of this uphill struggle of people needing to sell but hating the idea of being a salesperson. What I wanted to do was to equip them with the skills and the tools that they could bring their brilliance to find more of the success that I know they're capable of by understanding that the art of sales is just as important a skill as the skill that they've learned to become a professional in the thing that they're professional. So if somebody's a great graphic designer, the thing they need to add to their resume to be paid as a great graphic designer is the ability to sell effectively too. And that's what this kind of book has been written towards is all those people in the professional services, all those people in the creative industry, all those people who are doing a thing that is often out of passion or love and want to be rewarded right for being good at that thing. Mm, mm. So, uh, so as a quick kind of preview for January, as it were, what are kind of some of the, the principles? I mean, obviously, we've, we've covered quite a lot of principles already today, but what are kind of some of the, the top tips that you're you're giving as it were it is ram packed full of information and it would be unfair on the listener for me to try and shortchange them with uh, we're just giving them a kind of a piece out of context but the biggest thing that i think the book will help people with is to help them understand that sales is a process and following that process in the right order in the right way means that we're not looking at some form of wizardry here we're just looking at being able to follow the IKEA flat pack instructions of doing things in the right order. So we cover how to get your mindset right. We cover preparation. We cover how to build rapport. We cover how to ask more effective questions. We look at how to present and package your product and service so people can find the value in it. We help talk to people through different ways that they can close those conversations effectively. We look at overcoming indecision, what can be done to be able to work around objections. And we finish up in the book by helping people understand how to protect their asset by maintaining their customers 
customer base and keeping the conversation alive with all the people who've already agreed to spend with them. So it's, it's very much a comprehensive guide of how to take care of that sharp end of your business and become more successful and bringing more profit into it from simply doing the basics to a high standard consistently. Nothing too sexy. <laughs> I love that. And I, even I can follow some uh, IKEA flat pack instructions. So uh, that's got to be a good thing. And I look forward to reading that. So ju- just to kind of, I just want to ask a couple of questions to round this off, Phil, and just kind of bring this back to you as it were, because I think it, we have great people who give us great suggestions. But I know our listeners like hearing more about the person as well. So I'm just kind of curious for, for you personally in your business, as it were, what what kind of the the, the things that keep you motivated on a daily basis? What kind of daily routines or practices do you use to keep you focused and motivated in your business? I'm I'm naturally curious as an individual. So I have a simple belief system that if somebody else can do it, can somebody else be me? I'm forever studying the success of other people and then I get inspired by what other people have been able to achieve. So much of my success is coming from the motivation created in me from picking pieces like a Frankenstein monster of other people's brilliance and thinking I want to get after a piece of that. So what do I do in terms of routine? Um, My routine is that I have no routine. My routine is that, you know, I'm on the quest for better in all the things that I can do. And I live with the permanent frustration of not being good enough, feeling like I have imposter syndrome and thinking I best get busy to go try fix it. So, so my motivation comes from uh, this, this vicious cocktail of having some self-belief that I can go out and make a change in my life and, and also chasing the monster that's chasing me thinking I'm not good enough. Wow. Okay. That, that, takes, that takes some motivation and some guts, I would say. That's, that's quite amazing. So based on, based on that, and I'm just thinking back to you as your, your 14-year-old now, if you were looking back now, kind of, you know, a, a few years back, we'll say, and you were able to travel back in time, give, give that 14-year-old self some advice from what you know now, what would that, that piece of advice be? It would probably be to be careful who you listen to and understand that there's a big difference between opinion and advice. Opinion is somebody's personal belief, not necessarily based on any personal experience or with any intellect that's being attached to that, whereas advice is typically coming from somebody who has a position or a learned status that's towards that. So I would be speaking to my younger self to be on the quest for knowledge from people who've been there and done the things that I'm looking to do. I was very heavily influenced by people early on in my life that are telling me what could and couldn't be done, yet they had no prior experience towards that. So I'd have been more selective with who I'd have been listening to and then acted on some of those more positive beliefs from being surrounded by more of the right kind of people. Wow. Okay. I think we could all learn from that one, actually. I think last but not least, Phil, and this is the question I always ask is my final question. And that is, what is the, what is the question that you haven't been asked today that you'd maybe like to be asked? And what would your answer to that question be? I guess the question that I'd like to be asked is, is how can people get hold of my book or find out more about me or to learn more about joining me in the conversation? So um, my answer to that one would be um, Amazon is my happiest place for book sales because what happens is they track it and the more popular it is there, the more Amazon do to be able to make some noise about it. And I love reviews on that book too. So if you like it and you want to share some reviews, I'd love it. And finding me personally, it's philmjones.com is the web address. 
but I love joining in the conversation. So if there's something you've learned today that you've liked, then come connect with me on Twitter at Philem Jones UK, come connect on Facebook page, but you can find all of my social links via the website at philemjones.com. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today, Phil. This has been eye-opening to say the least. And uh, I know that people are going to get loads from your new book. I've certainly got loads from the current book. And there's just you've been so generous with your with your words of wisdom today. So thank you for your time. And I really appreciate it. You're very, very welcome. A pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me on the show. Cool. Thank you. And Mavericks, we'll see you next time for our next podcast. Thanks for listening. Hey, listen up. Don't go yet. Did you get something meaningful out of this episode? Well, the most meaningful thing that you can do right now is to go and leave a review on iTunes because those reviews are what keep us here. And please make sure to share and to subscribe to this podcast. Finally, are you unleashing your superpowers? Well, if so, show us on Instagram with the hashtag Mavericks Unlimited and we'll see you over there. And with that, thanks so much for listening to the Mavericks Unlimited podcast at mavericksunlimited.com. Bye for now.